This is Joe Cole, and you're listening to the London is Blue podcast. All right, Chelsea fans, welcome back to another episode of the London is Blue podcast. We got another Matt Loss special. That's right, Brandon and Matt back in the sauna bunker. Matt, how's it going? Back in the sauna. I wasn't in the sauna last time, was I? It doesn't feel like a sauna. It's raining and dark here, and I've got the electric heater on in here because it's cold as well. So I'm not feel. I might look sauna-ish, but I'm not feeling sauna-ish. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I got the 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 Dyson fan heater on. Uh, <laughs> Minnesota is not fun. Uh, it's they're been... um, they're paying you well if you've got the Dyson fan heater, <laughs> unless that was a little sponsorship drop because you get one free. I wish. Uh, DM me. <laughs> I'd be open and interested. Um, I'm a big secondhand refurbished guy, Matt. There's my secret. Okay. I'm very frugal. Okay. Uh, look, a lot has happened since the last time we talked. Last time we talked, uh, we were kind of talking about the the parallels or lack thereof between Chelsea and Spurs. Uh, Matt, would you like to give us your take on what happened <laughs> between Chelsea and Spurs? Well, first of all, just what a wild week, you know. Crazy. A wild, I don't think I've covered two, two games back-to-back like that before. No way. I mean, both games, both the Tottenham game and the and the Man City game, more the Tottenham game, were games as a reporter where you're having to check and double check because you're thinking, okay, who got sent off? How many VAR checks? How many disallowed goals? Da, 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 da. Really easy to make a horrible mistake in a match like that as a reporter. So um, you get pretty paranoid about checking and rechecking everything and, and making sure you haven't sort of made stuff up in your head. But um why, I mean, both games for different reasons, I'd say, were, were wild, but in their different ways, hugely encouraging as well. I actually thought the Man City performance was way more encouraging than the Tottenham performance, despite the the fact that, that they beat Tottenham. But there were still encouraging things to come out of Spurs. And yeah, an incredible week of, of covering live matches that was. Yeah, no no doubt about that. Uh, I think it shocked us a lot as fans. But um, I think we predicted draw ahead of that Spurs match. It was anything... But, um, and, and just based on how you saw the game play out, I mean, Spurs, a couple of, um, you know, poor decisions really led to their undoing. So you've watched them, paid attention to the season. Like, I, I guess, you know, kind of walk us through what surprised you most about, about this match. Look, I've, I've had time to reflect on this match. While I was watching the match, um, especially when Spurs went down to nine men, I was getting frustrated and angry with Chelsea, probably like a lot of fans were, and and I'm not a fan, but I was getting quite frustrated and angry at at watching them try to break Spurs down for a while. And I I think I tweeted that there were elements of the performance that were terrible, and I'd, I'd stand by some of that. But on reflection, I actually think that, and I've had this explained to me by someone at the club, that, what, what Chelsea were doing was was sort of wearing them down, trying and trying again and trying again. And yes, they were getting it wrong, but I think Pochettino on the sideline was telling them to keep keep t- trying the same thing in terms of breaking that line, keep you know risking getting caught offside, stay patient, stay patient, don't start shooting from thirty yards, don't start hoofing long balls or doing other things. Just this will work, and it, it worked in the end. So it, on reflection, maybe I, I was. And maybe a lot of people were too harsh. I know Pochettino was angry with the analysis. He he felt that Chelsea didn't get enough credit for breaking down Spurs in the end and, and felt that people were too harsh on them. And I also think what got forgotten is that in the first 15, 20 minutes, I thought Spurs were going to batter Chelsea. And this was while it was 11-11. And then at 11-11, Chelsea actually retook control of the game before the sendings off. 
um, they actually took control, managed to get their way back into it and, and took control of the game before the sending was off. So there was stuff there to be encouraged about even before the sending was off. So I, I can understand why Pochettino was slightly annoyed by the analysis and, and, and didn't feel Chelsea got enough credit. And then I tweeted when I got home as well, which was very late at night, and probably only people in America saw the tweet because of time differences, is that I actually thought Pochettino managed the game really well. He brought off Cole at half-time, which I know for sure now was because of the yellow card. He felt that Colville was the most likely of the Chelsea players to end up getting sent off. He he managed the emotions, whereas Tottenham didn't manage the emotions. Um, they left a dodgy on for the second half and, and he got sent off. So there's the difference immediately. Um, he moved Raheem Sterling to the right. I think it's from that position that, that Sterling got a dodgy sent off. And obviously then Sterling set up one, if not two goals. I'm... I'm starting to have the Man City and the Spurs games muddled themselves together a little bit in my head. But so I thought Pochettino managed it really well as well. I thought there was a lot of credit for him to come out of it. So on reflection, I was probably a lot more positive than I was when I was watching the match, which I'd imagine a lot of fans probably shared because I think probably there was a lot of frustration during the match from fans. And then on reflection, they they probably realized there's quite a lot of good elements. Right. And like, when is the last time Chelsea played a high line for 45 minutes? Right. I mean, to be fair, like it was something that it, it was, um, you know, it made the game different, right? You're having to play the match in like a 30 yard space, essentially between your 18 and the halfway line, knowing that any mistime run Jackson wasn't really making runs. He was just waiting and trying to pop and offsides ish quite a bit but they were able to I think pass and really take the edge out of the match a couple fouls are a little frustrating later in the game you know because I think that's where we got really nervous as Chelsea fans Matt was our inability to defend set pieces all season and yeah. I, I saw some stats out there too that there looks like there's some data that we have regressed quite a bit since Anthony Barry left not saying it's all down to him um, but it's definitely a weakness within this team I mean who had the open header right at the end, essentially, like we just, we missed. Benton Core, like, Benton yeah. Core from about three yards. I mean, the, the, that is the point. I mean, again, on reflection, you know, it, it just shows you that how how small margins are because if Benton Core or Son score or Dyer remains on side, it goes to all and it would be a very different conversation at the end of the game. So it just shows you the small margin. But that's the same in every game, the small margins in every game. In, yep. In fairness. Um, the other thing I like, just touching on that game, is um, I usually hate dressing room selfies. You can probably guess I'm not a dressing room selfie kind of guy. Um, but there was a dressing room selfie that uh, that came out after that game of about eight of the players all in the Tottenham dressing room celebrating. And for once, I really liked it. It's the first proper evidence I've seen of that squad bonding in since the takeover, really since since the churn, I've never seen. I've seen the stuff the club puts out, and I've seen the happy smiles on the training ground that they always manage to get every week, and the players high five the cameraman as they come out for training. Yada yada yada. Every club puts it out. Some of it's true, some of it's bullshit. But this dressing room selfie, I really liked because I I felt that gave a sense of the fact that there is there is a bond appearing in this squad. And I think the Man City match then backed that up, the way they fought for each other. They went behind three times. I thought you could see that bond within that performance. So I actually thought 
the dressing room picture that, that emerged after the Tottenham game was really, really encouraging about where the squad are going in terms of relationships. And that played out against Man City too. Well, and I think the big difference there, Matt, is that I believe was on Enzo's personal that the club repurposed. So the fact that the players are organizing, the players are posting to your point, right? It's not like, it's not like uh, the camera guy was like, hey, get everyone together, right? Huddle all up, let's take it. It was very organic, which which you can see. Um, Last thing I just want to say, are you surprised by the way this unfolded? I think the easy talking point for us Chelsea fans is to say, oh, Spurs uh, fell apart. They let their heads get to them again with the Romero tackle. And and obviously losing Van de Ven is massive for them. Losing Madison is massive for them. To your credit, you said <laughs> if they lose two of their key players, like it would be tough. Um, but I guess, are you a bit surprised at, um, it seemed like the moment got to Spurs, which I'm surprised because of, how well they've done against other big teams this season. I was surprised. No, I wasn't surprised. I was only I was surprised in the fact that, yes, I, I didn't see that coming. I hadn't seen anything this season to suggest that was coming. And Postacoglu is not the kind of guy on the touchline who necessarily encourages that, whereas a Mourinho or Conte with their behaviour will encourage that out of their team sometimes. But what I would say is I'm not overly surprised at what Romero did because Romero's got that in him and he's always had it in him and he'll always have it in him. He's a very good defender. He's better than a very good defender, actually. He's an excellent defender. But he does lose his head and he does let his team down. And he should have already been sent off before he got sent off. What surprises me looking back is that no one, either within the squad or on the touchline, after he got away with the kick, had pulled him and said, get yourself together, no more. Because it was only about... I don't know, maybe I've got this wrong in my head, but in my head it feels like it's only about 10 minutes later he does what he does to Enzo in the area. But looking back, surely someone should have been into him saying, focus, focus, you've just got away with one there. Don't don't let us down, don't let us down. And um, I think that's probably slightly concerning from their angle that no one in the squad or on on the touchline had the foresight to do that because as good as he is, Romero, in his Tottenham career, in terms of his mentality, has always been an accident waiting to happen. Yeah, Uh, fair enough. All right, well, we were super, obviously, excited, thrilled. Uh, We're definitely taking the 4-1 as the big talking points. Obviously, there's some sloppy play and things like that, but hey, uh, it it definitely happens. Um, The other one I think I kind of want to go into is just the, the Man City, but I think before we do it, I'm going to take the ad breaks. I don't want to interrupt in the middle of that. We'll pause here. Thank you to sponsors, and we'll be right back with a little bit of Man City. All right, Matt, I want to clear the runway here, all right? So (laughs) Man City was the second crazy match in two weeks for you. Uh, obviously in two f- weeks in six days or, sorry in yeah, six days, yeah. Not, e- not even two calendar weeks right we literally were Monday <laughs> to Sunday yeah. I suppose uh four four I'm sure you didn't have that on your bingo card but uh again I think like kind of give us your high level review obviously we've read the articles uh read the summaries and things like that but um you know it, it was a little bit funny that the Premier League and all the pundits are saying, God, the greatest league in the world. And yet we were getting roasted by most media outlets, you know, 10 days ago, understandably a bit. Yeah, I mean, look, understandably, because, you know, I think 10 days ago they'd lost to Brentford. Thanks, they, Matt. They Didn't want to say it. <laughs> Chelsea were getting roasted by their own fans, not just media outlets. Um, <laughs> but yeah, look, it was phenomenal. Um I, I think that the two, I've touched on one point already, that the character and the togetherness, 
and the mentality was extremely encouraging to fall behind three times. You know, I've written articles in the last two years, timeless amount of times about Chelsea's inability to hit back when they go behind. They've, it's not been a Poch thing. It's not been a Potter thing. It's not been a Tuchel thing. It's just been something within the club the last two years. When Chelsea go behind, they've generally either lost or drawn. They've, they've not won. They've not come back to win very often. Now, I know they didn't beat Man City, but they kept coming back. That That's something I don't think we've seen for a while, that kind of mentality, to keep coming back and keep bouncing back um, and keep getting over disappointments, particularly that very late disappointment is a deflected goal because heads could have massively dropped at that point. I mean, it was an incredibly cruel way to concede a goal. Um, so that that's my first point. And then the second point, obviously, is four goals. You know, I think the four goals against Tottenham was getting widely written off because it was against nine men. And Nicholas Jackson's hat-trick was probably one of the weirder hat-tricks I've seen in the, you know, three sort of tap-ins to open goals against nine men. It was quite. It was kind of hard to know how much to praise that, although it felt churlish not to praise it, a hat-trick against Tottenham. Um, but this was four goals against Manchester City, best defensive record in the league. Um, I think there was an XG against them in the game of over two, which is unheard of against Man City. I think the last time they had an XG against them like that was when they lost something like 5-2 to Leicester in Pep's first season. Um they had Nicholas three Jackson pe- scores they again. conceded three penalties in that match too. <laughs> like they weren't exactly, all for open exactly. play. But you know, for all we talk about City's attacking flair, that they, they're generally really good defensively, really, really good defensively. And so to score four goals against an eleven-man City in that form at the back is is really impressive. And you know, it could have been more than four goals. And Nicholas Jackson again. So that everyone sort of laughs at him behind his back for this hat-trick against nine men. He didn't play brilliantly, but I think he's probably the games where he is a little bit sort of sloppy and the ball hits him and runs off him. Is that I think I tweeted it. it on first glance, it might look like an easy goal, but it was strike. It was a proper striker's instinct goal. He had to be there. He had to be alert. He had to be ready. He was first man to react. He actually finished it really nicely. He could have still still actually missed from there. It wasn't just a completely open goal to, to pop it into. And we've been talking a lot about the last few weeks and lots of people have been talking about, is Nicholas Jackson the natural goal scorer? I don't think we still know the answer to that, but that was a natural goal scorer, straight natural striker's goal. Great instincts. You know, if Harry Kane scores that, everyone's talking about Kane's instincts and, and Kane's goal scoring ability. So, and then of course you've got the Raheem Sterling performance best performance I've seen by him in a Chelsea shirt. I know Palmer stole the headlines. I wrote about Palmer before the game and I'm I'm not trying to take any credit away from Palmer again. Incredible balls of steel stepping up for the penalty and a good game. I didn't think it was a brilliant game from Palmer actually, despite all the, the praise he's had from it, but I thought Sterling was exceptional and, and not just attacking wise defensively as well. Um, he was like a man possessed. I, I know someone who spoke to him a couple of hours after the game who said he was still absolutely wired, like he was like a man possessed. And even a couple of hours after the game, he was still like it. And actually, he was just annoyed that they hadn't won, which again, I think is is really good mentality. He was he's actually more annoyed about the fact they hadn't won than, than high on the 4-4 game. And that's, that's good going forward. So yeah, loads to be encouraged about from that game, loads. And just just a great game to watch and be at. You know, sometimes we can get a little bit cynical about football and... We talk about defensive mistakes a lot. We talk about this, we talk about that. Sometimes you just got to really 
be pleased that you've sat in front and watched a absolutely brilliant wild game it's like the 88th minute matt's like oh i've got an article uh i've just been taking this in <laughs> yeah exactly exactly i couldn't write sometimes you know um because of our deadlines just to sort of let you into my world because of our deadlines our our bosses will quite like us to start trying to write things before the full-time whistled because it helps everybody out to do it to meet deadlines and get stuff out quickly but that, that was a game I, I didn't type a word until the final whistle had gone. I think I considered starting two when, when City went 4-3 up. And then actually I just wanted to watch the last few minutes. And I'm glad I did because it changed again. So yeah, I, I, by the time we went in back into the press room after the game, I hadn't actually written a word. So I was late filing my copy that night and late home. Yeah, well, uh, it definitely, uh, at least you'd think it's a little bit understandable in that one. Um, <laughs> with this one, yeah, to your point about City's defense, I mean, they'd only conceded eight before this match in 11 previous, right? And then conceded four. So uh, we definitely put a dent in their in their uh, their goal difference a little bit. I think we're, you know, it's it's interesting, right? So Levi Cole out, Cucurella back in, Reese James getting minutes managed, but we're really seeing that, you know, Enzo, Caicedo, Gallagher midfield, really sticking to Sterling, Palmer, Jackson up top. And then even Silva de Sassi still almost like being forced to select those two center backs. But again, Silva recovering, playing every single minute, every single match and getting up for this one. As you start to look at this team, who are you seeing as kind of the core of this group. I think Sanchez starting to kind of come into form a little bit more, but like from your perspective, who are Chelsea relying on to get these results? Well, look, I don't think it's any any coincidence. And I don't think he's been perfect in the two games, but I don't think it's any coincidence that this upturn in in performance and and ability to score goals coincides with Reese coming back. Reese is massive for Chelsea, absolutely massive. And I, like I said, I don't think he's had two perfect games because defensively in each game, I think there are moments when you could have picked a few little defensive things on him and, and fair play because he's been out a long time. But, but Reese is absolutely massive for Chelsea. And it's it's not a coincidence that they have, you know, they score more goals, they perform better. There's a better mentality about them with him in the team. It, He's not a traditional captain type, but he still leads through performance. He still gives gives his teammates a little glare when he needs to. Um, but he, he mainly he just you know sets sets the bar with the, the work he does. You know, even if he makes the odd defensive laps, the work he does going forward. You know, against City in the opening stages, I thought he was Chelsea's most well Sterling probably, but after him, Chelsea's most dangerous player again against Tottenham for a lot of it, I thought he was Chelsea's most dangerous player. Do you remember that ball he played over the Chelsea defence for Cucurella when he was actually the first to break that line of the, the famous picture of them all stood on the halfway line? Incredible Reese switch ball to Cucurella that put him in on goal. Um, so yeah, Reese absolutely massive. Absolutely massive. If they can keep him fit, it will make such an enormous difference to them. You, you just watch the difference in results with with Reese in and Reese out. I'll, I'll stand by that. I think we're starting to see Caicedo blossom. Um, we talked about the fact that you know he hadn't had a proper preseason. He'd had a weird preseason with all the transfer chat and everything, not going back in for training at the normal time, and and that showed in his early performances. He looked a bit rusty, but he doesn't look rusty now. And I think we've seen signs of Caicedo really, really. Really now, Gallagher is 
huge for them at the moment. I know you want to speak about Gallagher more specifically later, but Gallagher, Gallagher's absolutely enormous. And then I've, I've been saying and saying and saying, Raheem in big matches, Raheem in big matches, Raheem in big matches. But if you know, if that's, if that's what we get out of Raheem. And then, of course, Palmer. So I've, I've probably picked out way too many players. Though. You probably wanted about three players and I've picked out five. But Reese, Caicedo, Gallagher, Palmer, Sterling are the guys for me who are the guys who are going to get this team up the table and the guys who need to stay fit and who I really think are capable of a level of consistency if they can stay fit. There's no doubt, right? I mean, that your Reese James is is such a crucial player to this. I mean, think about how he did against Doku, who's been lighting up the Premier League, and he's yeah. not fully yeah. fit. Um, yeah. That's that's a statement performance, you know, no doubt. Exactly. You know, Gallagher has been everywhere. Um, we He has just been the engine, right? I mean, it's like his superpower is running. He, he, he will run the entire game. I think the only knock, which was good on commentary, is I think Enzo was yelling sometimes Connor gets sucked to the ball too much and kind of overextends a little bit. But, like, he he is constantly in motion, constantly pressed. And I thought we counter-pressed City really well. I was actually really surprised by the energy levels. And you know what I find to be the most exciting thing kind of about the Spurs-City match, back-to-back, Matt, is the physicality. And I think Anthony Taylor, they mm. let a lot go, but the chest to chest, like standing over players, uh, like putting in a tackle, that's something that we haven't really seen from a Chelsea team in an identity standpoint in a while, where it's like, hey, if you can be physical and kind of body the other team around a little bit to put them off their game, um, I, I think Chelsea benefit, benefited from chaos in both these matches. I, I just, for whatever reason, yeah. it seems like Chelsea are able to thrive in chaos where uh, uh, some of our bigger opponents are are very uncomfortable with it. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I'd agree with the fact that they, the chaotic games do seem to suit Chelsea a lot better. Um, and it seems to get them going and get something about them going. And and Stamford Bridge as well, the, you know, Stamford Bridge atmosphere, quite understandably, hasn't been great for a long time. The Borussia Dortmund game last season was the best atmosphere I could remember in a long time. But this... We were, <laughs> you there. were there. Yeah, quite. <laughs> um, but that Man City game was up there with that. The... the the atmosphere was was top top level, and if they can bring that a bit more regularly, and it's up to the players to bring that out of them. I'm not criticising the fans at all. The, the fans have had, you know, a, sh- a shitty eighteen months or so in terms of home performances and home results. Um, but if if the fans and the, the players can bring that out in one another at home, it'll be a, a big thing for them. And it felt like there was a, it just felt that I know in the lead up to the Tottenham game, lots of Chelsea fans got annoyed with the amount of quotes from Pochettino on Tottenham. And yet, ironically, the way that Spurs game then played out and the City game on the back of it, I actually think for the first time there might be a connection building as well between manager and fans now. A lot of fans liked the way he went on and chased the ref. I mean, he had to apologise for it afterwards because it probably was a little bit over the top for, for the incident he was referring to. But a lot of fans liked that. They liked the seeing his passion on the touchline. I remember when uh, I remember when City scored their second, the header. Can't remember who it was now. Um, he went absolutely nuts on the touchline. That's it. He was furious with the defender. But again, I think just the way those two games are played out, and the way he's behaved in those two games, I think there's a little connection all of a sudden developing with him with the fans, which I think the fans had been a little bit slow on the uptake on because results haven't been good. There haven't been any big results. 
and also obviously the, the Tottenham link. But feels like that's coming now. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I think there's a there's a lot in that as well. Uh, I would say the, the the Potch system is visible, right? Get it to the wings. They look to find a midfield to then play the switch and then hit them on the weak side. Uh, I, I do think that is the last kind of piece that's starting to settle. And it turns out when you have your best players, you're able to execute the Potch plan at a much, much better level. And again, able to do that against a very talented city team who, remind you, had about five to six midfielders between Foden and Doku pinching in at times versus our three. They were able to, um, you know, I think, see an identity in this team going forward with the patterns. So agree. Good. All right. Well, we're going to take a last ad break. When we get back, all the questions from Discord format, uh, it's going to be good, like an update on Connor Gallagher. Thanks, sponsors. And we'll be right back. All right, Matt. So questions directly from Discord. If you want to get involved and join, uh, it is free. We have now opened up our Discord free for everybody. There are paid tiers with other channels, but if you want to get in and see what it's all about, uh, check it out. Link in the description. But Matt, the first one, a lot of people are really interested in is, um, I mean, I think Connor Gallagher, right? I think what is the update? He was on, you know, being uh, offered around this summer. He has been so good wearing the captain's armband. Any update you have as far as how the club value Connor as in keeping or still potentially looking to move? Well, there's absolutely no progress on his contract situation. That's what I can tell you. How long does he have left? He has this season and next season with no option. So whereas Ian Matson, I don't think that the option necessarily changes a lot with Matson. I've got to be honest, albeit Chelsea can maybe demand a lot, a bit more money. But whereas Matson had an option that the, the club were able to take up because Matson's deal was going to run out at the end of this season, Gallagher's runs out at the end of next season, but there's definitely no option in it. Um, and there's not been any further contract talks. There's not been any further approaches over those contract talks. So heading into January, there's a little bit of um, uncertainty around his camp about whether Chelsea again would would look at offers or whether now, because of the way he's playing, that'll be shut down by Pochettino. There's no way Pochettino want him to leave. Pochettino's spoken in glowing terms about him. He's given him the captaincy when Reese was out. He's been an absolute ever-present. Pochettino couldn't have sent a louder message without, you know, screaming in a press conference, let's keep Conor Gallagher, um, which he doesn't really need to do. He's, he's shown what he wants to do through his actions. He wants Conor. So... But um, nothing's, nothing's really kicked on between club and player. Now, in the summer, uh, right up until the final week of the window, he was sort of being... He wasn't being offered to teams, but his name was being included in, in lists of players who, who could be available. That changed slightly in the last week in that he was still being touted to some clubs, but then as the time went on, it became clear that Chelsea didn't really want him to go to a Tottenham or a Newcastle or someone like that who had been sniffing around him. So Chelsea was sort of trying to pick and choose who they dealt with and, and it obviously ended up with him staying Tottenham, went close to sort of really going for it on the last day, but I think realised shy of a, of a, what now probably wouldn't be a crazy bid, but at the time looked like a crazy bid, shy of doing that, they weren't going to get him. Now, Interestingly, Tottenham do have a midfield issue in, in January because Basuma and Saar will go off to the African Cup of Nations. They might look at their midfield, but I, I just can't believe that Pochettino would allow Gallagher to leave in January. So I don't see that. But 
the club need to get on the contract issue and I'm, I've, I only checked yesterday and there's, there's been absolutely no progress so far. Well, shout out to T. Clote, T.K. Lote and uh, McGleasy pinging around on that. I mean, McGleasy said, he's like, surely Gallagher's got to be 70 to 80 million now at this point, right? Premier League proven at every single club he's been at, doing it for Chelsea. It would have to be bonkers money, surely. Well, yeah, although at the end of the, the season, he'll only have one year left on his contract. Um and the counter argument to that is if you're saying he's a 70, 80 million pound player, you've got to pay him like a 70, 80 million pound player when you, if you're going to do a new contract with him. I, I, I kind of agree. I mean, the problem is, is whether you judge him against what Chelsea spend on midfielders or whether you actually not just Chelsea, that's unfair. You know, we've had Declan Rice at 100 million as well. Yeah, in the market, he probably is. I'd say more probably towards the 70 than the 80, but in the, the way the market's gone with what Chelsea have done with midfielders. Arsenal spending what they spent on Declan Rice. Um, yeah, he probably is about a £70 million player at the moment, but he's, he has a contract situation, which which makes it difficult for, for Chelsea to, in the long term, necessarily get that, were they to have to sell him. For sure. Um, okay, another one they have is... Lost my spot here. Uh, Canyon asks if there are any rumblings around recalling Santos from Forest, not even in the squad this weekend. Yeah, look, this is turning out to be a really bad loan. We, we had a chat before we came on camera, didn't we, about the loans and who's doing what where. And I think when you do loan players out, it's probably always 50-50 success rate. You'll get some who play a lot and do really well. And I think you'll always get some. This, I've got to say, always looked a bad loan. I know it's easy to say that in hindsight but they sent him to the one club in the Premier League with more players than Chelsea, with lots of midfielders. It's become very clear over time that he wasn't a Steve Cooper pick. Cooper clearly wants to go in a different direction. It feels like the owners at Forest did that deal with Chelsea. That, again, should have been a red flag for Chelsea that the owner was doing that deal with them on the loan rather than the manager. Um, and he's, he's going to have to come either come back or go somewhere else because it's pointless for, for all involved. I, I'm led to believe that there have been conversations between Forrest and Chelsea um, in the last couple of weeks to kind of clear up why he's not been playing and, and what the plan is for him. And I I think probably actually all they're really boiling down to is that, that Forrest are kind of slightly apologetic about it and, and probably agreeing with the fact that should Chelsea want to recall him in January and try and send him elsewhere, that they're not going to try and get in the way of that. It's It's... Yeah, it's it's been a bonkers loan. It's it's it didn't look like it was going to work on any level, and it hasn't worked on any level. Yeah, understandable. Uh, Brick Chithouse says, "Would you, Mister Law, be able to expound on your belief that numbers are the only way to quantify the impact of a player?" I don't know if you said that. Clearly, stats show Enzo is not scoring or assisting, but in the whole of Chelsea in buildup, it's clear he's the metronome making us click. Well, um, Mr. Brick, um, <laughs> um, look, Enzo Fernandez. Here's my here's where I am with Enzo Fernandez. Of all Chelsea's players, I think he has the highest ceiling. I think Enzo Fernandez can be of all of the the players who a lot of them have very high ceilings. Look at Cole Palmer. Look at Caicedo. Look at others. I think and even with Reese, I think Enzo probably has the highest ceiling of what he could be. But, and it's not just numbers, I'm not seeing enough defensively, I'm not seeing enough attacking, and I'm not seeing enough creatively from him to warrant what he is meant to be for Chelsea. He 
I get in the build-up play, carrying the ball, passing between the lines, things very, very good, but he's not impacting matches enough. And he's coming off in a lot of matches. He's being substituted. It feels like he's being substituted in a lot of matches. Let's not forget Chelsea's performance got better when he went off the pitch against City, I felt. Not just blaming him for that, because obviously the weak formation they were trying to go at City. It's not his fault, the fee, but were he to have been signed for £50 million right now, I probably wouldn't be moaning about Enzo Fernandes, and that's not his fault. I get that. I have sympathy for that. But at the end of the day, he's a £105 million midfielder. He's been at the club now nearly a year. He has one goal against Wimbledon. I'm not expecting him to score 20 goals, but he needs to start impacting matches more. He needs to be better defensively if, if he's going to play deeper. And if he's going to be a bit further forward, he needs to start getting assists and goals. He hasn't got any assists or goals yet this season. It's it's blatantly not, he's not been on his game. I mean, we can see that. As I say, I think he's got the highest ceiling of all the Chelsea players. He When, he, when you look at him, little moments in the game, he looks like an absolute Rolls Royce of a player. But I want to see a big performance. We saw with Declan Rice when he scored against Manchester United for Arsenal. We've seen some big moments from these other big... We've seen what Bellingham's done at, at Real Madrid. And you might say that's not fair to compare him to that, but I'm sorry it is because Chelsea told us all that when they signed Enzo, they signed him last January for the fee they signed him for because they felt there were three midfielders in world football who were going to dominate the market and go potentially for even more than Enzo went for. And at the time, they said that was going to be Bellingham and Declan Rice and Enzo Fernandez. They knew they could get Fernandez, so they got Fernandez at the price. Now, actually, Declan Rice, I think, went for the same money as Fernandez, and Jude Bellingham, I think, went for slightly less. Um, and the impact that they've had at their clubs has so far been a lot greater than Enzo Fernandez has at his club. There are mitigating factors, but I want to see more. And I want to see more because I can see what his ceiling is. And I would be very surprised if Chelsea don't want to see more. There's a reason Pochettino keeps taking him off. He's tired. He's got a newborn at home. <laughs> yeah. And he's also not uh, not the man who's going to get you a goal to equalize or set a goal up to equalize at the moment, too. Yeah. Uh, fair. I understand. Um, uh, a lot of hope, obviously, amongst Chelsea supporters. Craig J says, Mat is Mataweke gone in January? Question mark. And he's leaving an open-ended loan cell, whatever. But again, um, hasn't really kicked off, but has had injuries. So any kind of... I don't know, sense on Matawake? Not specifically, no. I mean, I, I do think, look, at you know, with Chelsea, I'm always loath to say this now because it's best best intentions tend to go out the window in transfer markets with this ownership. But I'm I'm led to believe that this this mark this window is going to be about maybe a couple of outs. I would certainly include Chalabar within the likely couple of outs. I'm not quite sure of who who the other might necessarily be, but I was told maybe a couple of outs and maybe a couple of ins, um, just tweaking. Now, look, like I say, who knows what will end up happening because best laid plans and all that with transfer markets and Chelsea and everything goes tends to go a bit mad. But that is the best laid plans as we sit here in November. Madaweke, he's had a little problematic time under Pochettino. He's, he's, whereas he, he actually was the one player really to flourish under Frank Lampard in his little interim spell. That and he had a very good summer with the under twenty one Euros for for England. Um, 
he's not quite fitted into what Pochettino wants to do. He had the little incident where he was pictured at a party, not the end of the world at all, but I don't think it helped things necessarily. Then he came back and actually did okay. Who did he hit the bar against? Brentford. Yeah, Brentford. that was the difference. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if that goes in, you know, again, we're, we're talking fine margins, but I don't think they're ready to give up on him just yet. I'd be surprised at that. Um, I think there might be opportunities for him down the line. I don't know. I, I, it's difficult to say now on Madawake in January, if a loan came along, would they loan him out? Might do him good. They've got Nkunku coming back. They've got, of course, Carney's going to come back at some point. We are going to get to a stage with those forward players where there's too many of them. That's what I would say. You know, and I know that, you know, we're not talking necessarily striker here because they could still go and try and sign a striker. But, you know, Brozier's now back and Kunku's going to be back after the international break. Uh, like I say, Carney at some point, you would imagine, will come back. There's going to be too many attacking players at the clubs for even to fill, to put players on the bench. So something's got to give somewhere with all of that, you'd imagine. But that's that's assuming everyone's fit. And at Chelsea in the last 18 months, we don't really have ever had a scenario where everyone's fit. But Madueke's kind of been the one, I would say, who's who's suffered most by the change of manager at the moment, maybe, who was coming into the season probably with very high hopes after the way he finished last season. Yeah, absolutely. He's still playing with the England 21s, right? So he's still getting game yeah, yeah, time yeah. there. Yeah, so I think that that's a, a good sign. Like, it's not like he's just frozen out and not playing at all, um, which is which is important. Um, a little bit of transfer inkling here. Obi Mikel launched this podcast, right? We all yeah, know. Yeah, I've been listening to bits. Yeah, I've been listening to little bits. How about episode three? Agent Obi, Osman, <laughs> a lot of people, right, are thinking that there's a chance there's been some stuff written. Uh, obviously, Chelsea would love to have a top striker, but Osman, Nigerian, would have AFCON this season. Does that even matter at this point if you can get a top striker? Kind of, I don't know, what's your take on Osman? That's a shout out to Matt Fitz and uh, M. Dempsey. Or no, Ibby, sorry. So here's where I am with Osman. I think. I don't know this for pure fact, but I've got a I've got a good source on it. I think Osman would be Pochettino's first choice. Actually, Mbappe would be Pochettino's first choice, but ain't gonna really. Happen. They had a good relationship yeah. from PSG, or he's he just that Mbappe. damn good. Who cares? <laughs> he, he loves Mbappe. Mbappe. I think if you asked Pochettino who he would have in his team out of Mbappe and Harry Kane, he would go Mbappe. He absolutely loves Mbappe. But let's be real. <laughs> so talking realistically Ossiman is is Pochettino's first choice I don't see it January just because and I know that Napoli talk a lot on transfers and they deny a lot of things and then they do the opposite I know I know I know but I think that transfer in January is probably very difficult to do in terms of what you'd have to pay both the club and and him um, and also their reluctance to do it. In the summer, as long as he doesn't go anywhere else, I could I could really see Osserman and Chelsea because I think at the moment convincing Osserman to join Chelsea even might be tricky just because in his eyes, he looks at the table. They are a mid-table club at the moment. They're not. We know they're not a mid-table club. Realistically, they're not a mid-table club. They're not a mid-table team. 
But if he's looking at it in January, they might be sat in mid-table. Um, but the biggest problem Chelsea have with all this, and this is what's going to be fascinating, is the wage structure. They are not going to be able to sign a top striker within their wage structure. They're not even going to be able to sign Ivan Tony in their wage structure. Ivan Tony isn't moving to Chelsea on £100,000 a week or £120,000 a week or £90,000 and millions of bonuses if they win the Champions League and win the league and whatnot. He's not. Ivan Tony's got one big last opportunity at a contract and he's going for 150 to 200 grand a week plus and that's why where he's going. Similarly, you have to imagine with Osiman, if he comes to England... He's chasing the big money. He turned down Saudi Arabia in the summer. Now, that was more of a football decision. But they would have been offering him absolutely fortunes. He's not joining Chelsea on 100 grand, 120 grand, 130 grand a week either. None of the A-list or even B-list strikers are, are coming for that money. So I find this really interesting. Chelsea are going to have to shatter that wage structure that they've implemented elsewhere in the team to sign the type of striker that they and Pochettino all want, unless they're going to go and take a chance on someone. There's no point doing that. They've got that guy. They've got Jackson. That's the guy they took a chance on. And it might still work. It might still work. But there's no point signing another Jackson. So if they get a striker for me, it has to be an elite striker and they'll have to shatter their wage structure and, and manage that situation. I don't. I personally would be extremely surprised by Ossiman in January. But I do think he's Pochettino's first choice. And I do think there's a chance for the end of the season if Chelsea can decide what they're going to do on their wages. You think Lukaku gives him a little bit of concern and how that's all gone down? Big striker, crazy wages, impossible to move if it doesn't work. It's worked well for them on Lukaku at the moment. They'll they'll be confident of getting their, what was it, 35 million? They wrote it into, I wrote the story, I should know. Um, <laughs> 35 or 36 million or whatever it is is written into that deal that they have to sign for. That's looking good at the moment. I, You know, it's easy to beat Chelsea with a bit of a stick over the fact that Lukaku's doing well at Roma and scoring a lot of goals. Chelsea would be delighted because that means that Chelsea might actually get some proper money back for him. Yeah, it was um, two years of pain, though. <laughs> yeah, two years of pain. Look, yes, there'll be worry. Anyone who signs Osman, there will be concerns about the fact he's done it in Serie A because, you know, can you do it in Serie A? doesn't necessarily mean you can do it in in the Premier League, but they're going to have that with lots of people. I mean, if they signed, the only people they're not going to have question marks over if they, they sign a striker is someone like Harry Kane, which they're, they're not going to be able to get. But even if they sign Ivan Tony, who's done it in the Premier League, Ivan Tony becomes, well, he hasn't played for eight months. He's never played for a quote-unquote big club. How's he going to deal with that? Similarly with Ossiman, there will be question marks over Serie A to Premier League. They can't judge everything by Lukaku. They, they just—you'd never do anything. You'd never spend any money if you judged everything by Lukaku. Jeez. Yeah. Well, hey, not wrong. Uh, last one up we have here is from uh, Matt Fitz and M Dempsey. They both want to have some questions about. Actually, I'd take that back. I'm so off. By the way, Broya, you have him too. Brilliant work to draw the pen on the fourth goal. Yes. So you know, yeah. Broya and Jackson. That does kind of seem like they're going to let them go and kind of see who shakes out, but. Um, you know, he's still in, in the mix. Uh, Mig, let's see. All right. Chris L and M Dempsey are talking about injury, injured players returning, right? And Kunku seems to be itching to get back. Lavia, 
Carney, Chuck Mecca, Matt's favorite, uh, and even Chilwell. Uh, any updates on them coming back and kind of how you see this squad shaping up with, I mean, that's an immense amount of depth for this team to have. And we haven't had depth, it seems like for like two and a half, three seasons because of all the injuries we've had. Like this would be a wild squad to have from December ish on. Could be too big as well. I've just touched on that. Could be too big. I I am interested to see how that plays out. Lots of, lots of exciting things about the big squad. I, I totally agree with you. Lot to manage though as well for Pochettino when when if they ever get to a stage where that squad's largely fit. Um Kunku, I think, is the closest. And Kunku, I think, would love to be part of that Newcastle game. I suspect that Chelsea will be careful. Look, look what they're doing at the moment with Reese. Look what they did with Colville at the weekend. They're taking long-term views, they're being careful. Reese is coming off after about 60 minutes in the last two games. Colville, I'm pretty sure they probably could have given a pain-killing injection to and tried to make him play that game. Would rather not take the chance, given what they've had happen to players. And Kunku, I think they'll give him an extra couple of weeks to probably what he wants, but I think we'll see him... I think we'll probably see him December, start of December. Um, that's really exciting. I can't wait for that. You know, I I wrote in my preseason predictions that he could be the signing of this season for not for Chelsea across the leagues and you know that went well didn't it but um I'm really still excited time. to see him still time there's still time <laughs> he's my he's my top goal scorer prediction of the season and I still have a chance minus Jackson's exactly. four goals in two games all of a sudden exactly and you know I, I wasn't there for preseason but those two together in preseason got everyone very excited as well so, so good yeah so um he he's the closest one Carney's gone quiet um, I should probably check on Carney. Carney's a bit worryingly quiet about where that is. I I don't think we'll see Chilwell again this year. I know I can't remember quite what the club said on the timing, but I don't think we'll see him again this year. He's another one they've got to be careful with because he's another one who who comes back, breaks down, comes back, gets another injury. Um yeah, I I look I I, I was told the fact he went to LA actually was probably encouraging because they were getting it done before the international break rather than in the international break, which would suggest maybe he was slightly ahead of schedule because I think probably the, the the first thought would be to let a player go to somewhere like LA for a bit of warm weather while it's the international break and there's not many people around at Cobham. But the fact he did it early might suggest he's, he's on track for a bit earlier, but I'd still be quite surprised if we saw him again, again this year. Um, but Carney's gone very quiet. Got to check on that one. Yeah, he was posting and stuff like at Cobham, and that's even like dried up. Yeah, I don't. I, I honestly don't know what's happened there. I need to to make a check there. Okay. Um, well, I mean, there's a lot, a lot going down, a lot shaking. Obviously, they need to figure out where they're at. Um, you know, a European spot, realistically, especially again, if you want to show top players that you're trending in the right direction, that they can you know, take a punt on you in the Europa League one season, knowing that it'll be in Champions League the next season. But um, the, the, the Premier League's starting to get a little bit wobbly, Matt, right? Obviously, Spurs, the two poor results. Uh, you know, I know Manchester United were the team in form uh, on points, stuff like that. But, you know, they're still in, you know, mid, mid-table-ish. But um, Newcastle, right, really looking like they're in a tough spot, which is awesome for Chelsea because that's who we play after the international break. If I could, I would have paid for Chelsea to play them tomorrow. But I <laughs> even think 
will be stronger than them post international break. Well, look, they could lose. They could lose even more players. And I think they've got eleven players out at the moment. They could lose even more players after the international break. I mean, you never know what's going to happen in the international break. It's always a bit nerve wracking for for everybody in terms of players coming back. But Newcastle are in a bad, bad place at the moment. Yeah, that Chelsea. That is a good time for Chelsea to face them. Tottenham and Villa play each other straight after the international break. So one of those two clubs or both of them are going to drop points. Um, I think, is it Chelsea nine or ten points behind Villa in fifth, which is probably the last Champions League place? Uh, nine. Nine. Ten? nine. Yeah. That's not, you know, that is not that, is not that much. At this, we're only in November. I mean, people sometimes react like we're kind of in March or April or something. We're, we're literally only in November. And the Christmas fixtures... I tell you, the Christmas fixtures tend to sort out where people are. I always think, come the new year, once you've got through those Christmas fixtures, you kind of know where people are then. You know, I'm looking at my club, Villa. If we can stay in touch around that top five, top six, with we've got some really tough fixtures in December, come January, then I think we can stay there the rest of the season. But I think there's a chance that we fall away a little bit in that time. Um, similarly for Tottenham with their injuries, They've got some tough matches. They've got Villa. They've got Man City. With the players they've got out, I, I do think that Chelsea have an opportunity to make a run. And the fact they've got some tough fixtures shouldn't worry them because they've done better in the tough fixtures. I think, though, December is going to be crucial for everyone. If they don't, if they come through December and they're still nine or ten points off fifth after December and after that big run of matches, then I start to think, really, are they really going to catch them but at the moment why not why not I, I still think fifth place is wide open look at do I think it's remarkably likely at the moment maybe not because I think they'll still be inconsistent is it possible absolutely possible nine points is nothing in November I, I just think that we're, we're seeing the team has been strong just a lack of finishing a couple of really good results in the last week uh, players like in Kunku coming back are season changing, you know, moments for this squad. So I, I'm excited to to kind of get those pieces. But to your point, after Newcastle, right? It's Brighton at home, which they've stumbled a bit recently. Yeah, They're massively. Not, yeah, you know, They're United. Not yep, United away, which is probably right on par where we're at. We're going to be right next to them in the table for that match. Uh, Everton away, who've picked up a little bit of form all of a sudden. Then you've got Sheffield United at home, very winnable. Newcastle again, hopefully they're still limping. Uh, and then obviously the Christmas Eve fixture, Wolves away, very winnable, even though, by the way, Gary O'Neill up to 11th place with that team. Going to Wolves has become a really difficult fixture. Uh, Man City lost there, Tottenham lost there, Villa drew there, Newcastle drew there. Away at Wolves. Way at Wolves is tough. That is a tough place to go this season. Yep, and it, it's fair. And then you round out with Palace at home on the 27th, and the 30th Anchor. is Luton away. So, Anchor. right? So good, you got 24th, 27th, yeah. 30th. Three matches in six days, to your point. That's the shakeout. But the fact that it's Wolves away, Palace at home, Luton away, like, manageable. Should be. Oh, you, right? you're looking for seven points minimum out of those three games. But... I mean, let's not get ahead of ourselves, but like I say, nine points in November, nine points up till fifth is, is really nothing. I, I mean, look, I, I know I talk a lot about Villa at the moment. I'm, I apologize. I'm a very excited Aston Villa fan. But about this time last season, Villa were 11 points behind Tottenham and they finished above Tottenham. 
Um, Tottenham fell apart. Villa had a brilliant second half of the season. Nine points, honestly, is nothing. Chelsea are well in that mix for a, a top five, top six place. Absolutely no doubt about it. I actually think as well, getting in Europa might be better than getting in the Champions League for them. It's another opportunity to get in the Champions League for them next season. It might be more about sort of where they are in their development. Um, but yeah, Europe's massively got to be a European. People will laugh when Sanchez talks about, well, we're still aiming for the Champions League. They absolutely should be aiming for the Champions League at the moment, for sure. I mean, you get, you got to set it, right? And and Chelsea has levels of expectations, the amount of money that's been spent. So, you know, absolutely, it is tough, but that's what you want to see. So, I don't know. There's also, I think this season, there's a, I think this season there's a top three. I think there's a top three of City, Liverpool and Arsenal. I don't think they're all going to be as high points tallies as maybe in the past because teams are taking points off them and it's a very competitive top eight or nine of the Premier League this season. But mm-hmm. I do think there's a top three. I don't see a club coming and breaking that top three. After that, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, wide open for me. Absolutely wide open. I know. I'm waiting for Liverpool to slip again. They haven't. They've put together a really strong no. run, unfortunately. I'm yeah, waiting. They'll be fine. Yeah, they'll ah. be fine. Well, you're you're not wrong. I think it will be City, Liverpool, Arsenal right at the top, and then four, five, six, easily up for debate uh, from there. Cool. Well, Matt, I appreciate it. This is a good one. We got a lot covered. We did, and I'm off to North Macedonia on Sunday. So I would say sunny North Macedonia, but I think it's chilly and wet North Macedonia for England game. Well, um, can, can and, you... And then thank God, thank God, no international break then for a while because it's just like just as we get going, Every single time, just as we get going, international break. Just as we get going, international break. Yeah. After this one, we can just look forward to it all in front of us. Well, hey, you can go say hi to Cole Palmer for us since he got his call up. You can continue to push Raheem. Appreciate you. I'd, I imagine I imagine you want Cole Palmer reps in cotton wool, don't you, during this international break? He's young. He seems tough, right? Yeah. He's he, he, More you play, the better, right? Hey, look... And look, I know this from the England environment. Just, just this is Chelsea based. The England environment these days is so positive. I know people debate is Southgate a top manager, blah 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 blah. But players, players genuinely love meeting up with England. He's changed the whole dynamic. Players didn't used to. They genuinely love it. I know from other players' experiences of going into that squad, they would much rather be in that squad, training at that high level in a very bubbly. Mm high place than being one of six players at Cobham this week or next week mm-hmm. where it's flat there's nobody around there's not much you know there's not many there's not much banter about there's nothing really going on raising yourself for that is difficult I, I know fans get worried about whether they can pick up injuries I get that and they can pick up injuries but the environment should be much better for them and they should most players who are away on England duty these days go back to their clubs and actually go back far better look at look at what it's done for Maguire with with Man United um and obviously Palmer's in a much better situation at Chelsea so I I think it could even give someone like Cole Palmer an even greater boost coming back to Chelsea yeah I mean that's the hope right and the credit where it is uh it's and, and it, the fact that it's a senior call-up right I mean that just is is massive and th- and that's these are the two back-to-back matches that that pushes him over the edge, right? The fact that he scoring and involved the way he has in those two matches, like if it were, I don't know, Sheffield and Luton or something like that, it's less impressive. But when you do yeah, it exactly. against these two big teams, perfect timing for him. So love exactly. it. 
All right. Exactly. Good stuff. Enjoy the trip, Matt. Uh, we'll be back with a ton more content this week. Even though it's international break, we are keeping it going. So thank you to Matt. Go check it out. Telegraph all the lovely articles. We repost as many as we can. But until next time, Chelsea fans, you know what to do. Keep the blue flag flying high. Oh,